following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, March 7th, 2022. The woman in your life will do what she must do to comfort you and calm you down and let you rest now. The woman in your life, she can rest so easily. She does everything you do because the woman in your life is you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. And with me at the board is my producer, my co-producer, engineer, webmaster, and loving partner, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Elaine. Ah, what a great day here in Sonoma County. We are alive in the studio, and it's just another great day. And happy Women's History Month. And to begin the celebration, I have a special guest who will be joining me on the phone, Molly Murphy-McGregor, one of the co-founders of the National Women's History Alliance. We'll be talking about the Women's History Alliance, which began as the Women's History Project and the origin and changes she has seen uh, over the past almost 35 years and concerns around women's equality and choice for women in 2022 and moving forward. It's just amazing. You know, Molly McGregor and I, my claim to fame is that her and I went to Sonoma State together and it was very interesting. At that time, there was no, there was no history, no, very, very little uh, women's history. I mean, we knew about, uh, Amelia Earhart, you know, we learned about, uh, Florence Nightingale, but that was, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt, but we really did not hear about the history that women had created over the past several hundred years. So in 1980, the the National Women's History Project, the NWHP, was founded in Santa Rosa, California by Molly Murphy McGregor, a dear friend, Mary Roostadter, Maria Cuevas, who's a beautiful, beautiful musician, uh, Paula Hammett, and Betty Morgan to broadcast women's historical achievements. The NWHP started by leading a coalition that successfully robbed, uh, excuse me, <laughs> lobbied, not robbed, not robbed, lobbied Congress to designate March as National Women's History Month, now celebrated across the land. Isn't that amazing? Right here in Northern California, Sonoma County. Today, the NWHP, which is now known as the National Women's History Alliance, is known nationally as the only clearinghouse providing information and training in multicultural women's history for education, community organization, and parents for anyone wanting to expand their understanding of women's contribution to United States history. What an amazing feat that was. It really was. I mean, I love it. when I, This is going to be the third interview that I have with Molly uh, during the beginning of Women's History Month. And what an amazing process they went through, you know, to get this going, to get National History Day, the National History Month. I mean, a lot to be proud of happening right here in our own community. And I'm also uh, really excited about talking with Molly because we're going to talk about kind of have a State of the Union of women uh, right now. Well, yesterday, Sunday, well, the whole weekend, there were several protests, but Sunday, Ken and I went to a gathering at Courthouse Square, and I was 
really honored to be one of the speakers. And I did have everybody do the pledge, which is kind of exciting to me. But I got to say something. You know, I, I like to talk from my heart. I was really disappointed that there were not more people downtown uh gathering and protesting what's happening in the Ukraine and just what's happening with war in general. I mean, I got up yesterday morning, Sunday, and all of a sudden I realized, I mean, that one man had made a threat that we're on a a high nuclear alert. And I, I just thought to myself, my God, one button and boom. You know, there it is. And we really have to be mindful of what's happening. And, you know, I was thinking, why are there not more people out there? I mean, I realize that we're kind of still in a pandemic, but they've eased the mask uh, provisions so people can be a little bit more comfortable, I guess, when they go out. But I, I always wear a mask. I mean, that's okay. I mean, it's a matter of choice. That's the beauty of our country, that we have choice. And but I just didn't understand why there not were not more people out there. And I mean, this is really very serious right now. We're at a crossroads. You know, the way I see it, we're at a crossroads. It's almost like we've entered World War Three, and we have to start negotiating. We have to start talking with each other. We have to sit down at the table. I mean, this is getting to be very, very dangerous. And the only way that I have found change to happen is when people stand up and get loud about what they want. And I think it's amazing, you know, that we heard that Yoko Ono did all these billboards across New York, you know, imagine peace. I mean, I've been imagining peace as long as I can remember. I think I've mentioned this before that Ken and I went and saw the, uh, saw the musical Hair at the Sixth Street Playhouse. And when I walked out, I says, I looked at him, I says, Ken, has things changed? I mean, we're still talking about when I saw the at the end of the play when they had the young man that, you know, well, I don't want to tell for people who haven't seen it, for the young man who was killed in the war, all of a sudden I just start crying, just thinking of all the young men that were killed in that war in Vietnam. And then when Robert McNamara came out and said it was a mistake, you know, and all the damage we did, not only to the country, but to our own country. I mean, we split the, we split the country in half over that war. It was just a horrible, horrible time when I think back on it. But here we are again in 2022. Only now it feels even more threatening because all of a sudden there's a high alert on nuclear weapons. I mean, my goodness, God forbid one of those things went off. And, you know, I'm a a believer, you know, as a woman, as a mother, as a grandmother, as a great-grandmother. I mean, my God, I mean, it's just where did time go? I think to myself, where are the mothers? Where are the grandmothers? We must stand up against wars. We must stand up against what's happening to women and children across the globe. Can you imagine? Millions of people are leaving the Ukraine trying to find shelter in other countries. Can you imagine if that happened to you? I mean, when I think about it, I remember the fires. Just the thought of of evacuating in our neighborhood was just, it was horrendous. Imagine if bombs are dropping around you. I mean, it's just, it's just a hard, it's a hard thing to think about. It's a hard thing to take. And I have to admit, I have to admit, I have been doing a lot of crying the last few days. And I was amazed when I came to the, uh, to the protest on Sunday. I had four women come up to me who were crying. 
you know, I couldn't believe it. I, I, why are we crying? You know, we're crying because we're scared. We're crying because we have, we feel powerless. We're crying because we feel what is going to happen. And sometimes I say to myself, wait a minute, whose hands is this in? Are they going to be rational? Or, or what, what is happening? I mean, it's a very, very confusing, heartbreaking time particularly when we think another war has broken out. So let's see, we have a war in Palestine, you know, with the Israelis and the Palestinians, which is really heartbreaking to me. I mean, I just, I, I just, every time I think about it, I cry. You know, we have Yemen that's happening. We have Syria. You know, uh, Afghanistan is still trying to recover from all the horrible wars they've been in. Iraq, my God, Iraq, a, a country that's been totally destroyed, still trying to come back together. You know, what next? And now here we are, the Ukraine. And when I looked at those buildings, I just went, whoa. Well, anyway, enough of my rant. We must get involved. And one of the things in my speech is what I said is, if we're feeling bad, become active. How do you become active? I know we have a pandemic. I know that there are people that have to go to work. Well, you can write letters to the editor. You can... Donate to organizations that you can believe in. You can attend a Zoom, a conversation at night, maybe at dinner, you know, watch your emails to see what people are talking about. And you can definitely support your community radio stations, which is very, very important right now. I mean, I'm on the air by the grace of the community. We don't have corporate sponsors. We have a community that is behind us, and it's very important that we support public radio. Well, as we do every every Monday, we talk about our history is our strength. Oh, you know, when I think of our history is our strength, I can't help but I think of the Mother's Day proclamation. I think of the fact that when she wrote it, she said she's not going to raise her sons to kill another mother's son. I, I, it's just, it's just beyond me. Well, anyway, our history is our strength. And so I just thought I'd go through a real intense list here. I mean, it's really amazing. March 1st, 1978, uh, was the Women's History Week was first observed in Sonoma County, California. Uh, March 1st, 1987, Congress passes a resolution designating March as Women's History Month. Kind of interesting because March is my birthday too. I just love it. March third, nineteen thirteen, a women's suffrage parade in Washington D.C., where over eight thousand women gathered to demand constitutional amendment guaranteeing the right to vote. Such an important thing: the right to vote, the right to be an active citizen. It's just amazing. March fourth, nineteen seventeen, Jeanette Rankin took her seat as the first female member of Congress. She was a, a Republican from Montana. And here's one of my my favorite, favorite things is March 4th, 1933, Frances Perkins became becomes the United States Secretary of Labor, the first female member of the United States Cabinet. And what's so fascinating about Frances Perkins is when uh, – Roosevelt asked her to serve. She had certain conditions that she she wanted him to meet. The first thing was he told her in order for her to be appointed, she had to 
go from being, she had to register as a Democrat in lieu of being a socialist, which she was. So she did that. She registered as a Democrat and became a lifelong Democrat, actually. And then what ended up happening is the conditions that she said uh, to President Roosevelt in order for her to serve is that she wanted his support around, listen to this, women's labor laws, children's labor laws, supporting unions, educational laws to make sure that children are no longer working until they are, you know, by the time they're 14 years old, they already had related diseases from, from overwork. Sometimes they had to work 16 hours a day. No, no more children in the labor force, and each child should get educated. This was a woman, Frances Perkins. Can you imagine during that time her standing up and her making those conditions for children and for women to have rights, to have safety during a time when women couldn't even get a credit card, they couldn't own their own property, that men had complete dominion over them. So it's amazing what Frances Perkins uh, uh Accomplished. Let me just give you a little sentence about her. Frances Perkins was an American workers' rights advocate who served as the U.S. Secretary of Labor from 1933 to 1945, the longest serving in that position. In addition, she also made history as the first woman and first known LGBT person to serve in the U.S. cabinet. Now, I didn't know that. So the LGBT women have been around for quite a while. I mean, it's not like it's all of a sudden a phenomenon that happened. The only difference between now, thank God, is we can at least be honest and open about who we are. Way back when, you couldn't, you couldn't, you really could not be honest. Everybody had to hide what their preferences were. You know, it was like scandalous. I mean, when you think about it. So we have come a long, a long way, but we're slowly but surely uh, losing many of our rights. And if we're not careful, let me tell you something, we're going to lose them all. And that's what's very concerning to me. I'm very concerned about that. And that's why I talk about it a lot, you know, just to make people aware that, you know, you got to be very, very careful with what, what's going on. Well, anyway, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, take a musical break now before we have Molly McGregor on. And we're going to play a rather long song, but I'm going to play the whole thing. It's Love and Justice, One Woman, sung by Anna Blaku and the chorus of 25 women. And it has a very, very very interesting history. It was written for the United Nations as a celebration of women and women's history. And it really really says a lot. The song is, is... I mean, it really gives you a real background. And just listen to the lyrics. They are very, very strong. So anyway, let's go ahead, uh, Ken. Let's play that song. I'm sorry I had the I had the wrong name on there. So that's Love and Justice, uh, uh, the one-woman song sung by Anna Blaku and the chorus of 25 singers. Hidden in the clouds, the firelight is dying In the dark slumming street, men, women, children crying No work today means no pay, and no pay means we're starving Mother, I'm with child again, I feel like I'm dying Pain, pain, your weapon be 
that would be good. Oh, I had the strangest dream that came on the starry midnight. Men and goodness my goodness that is just an amazing amazing song sung by 25 women singing about women and justice and saying hey we are not going to take this anymore well for you just joining in i want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station its board of directors members or women's spaces well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And without further ado, I want to introduce my very special guest. Joining me on the phone, Molly Murphy-McGregor, one of the co-founders of the National Women's History Project, now known as the National Women's History Alliance. Welcome, Molly. Welcome once again to Women's Spaces, and happy International National Women's History Month. Um, thank you, Elaine. Thanks for inviting me. And yes, happy National Women's History Month. I mean, it's just amazing. You know, it's just, I can't believe another year has gone by and so much is happening. I mean, look where we are now right now. It's just amazing. I can't believe that Yoko Ono actually did all these bulletin boards saying, imagine peace. Amazing, amazing things that women can do. Well, before we begin, is it okay if I tell folks just a little bit about you? Sure. Well, sure. Molly Murphy McGregor not only is a friend, but she is the found one of the co-founders of the National Women's History Alliance. She's actually the executive director, and she's also the chair of the NWHA Board of Directors. Molly, uh, Molly is a former high school social studies teacher who has worked for over 35 years, I mean 35 years, in the field of gender, gender equity and women's history. McGregor conducts uh, women's history work workshops and women's historic site tours throughout the country. She also works with state and national agencies on strategies and programs to help acknowledge and recognize the historic contributions of women. Her work in the field of multicultural women's history has been widely recognized, including awards, and this is just amazing, Molly, from the National Education Association, the U.S. Department of Education, and the National Association for Multicultural Education, 
and the Association for Gender Equity Leadership in Education. Molly is accessible via email nwhp1980 at gmail.com. Wow, what a beautiful resume. Anything that you'd like to add? Any new stuff that has happened to you? <laughs> no, just that, that that's 35 years is more like 55, but other than that. What were you doing the other 25, the other 20 years? Um, uh, well, I taught high school, and uh, when I taught high school, I realized that I, I didn't even think about women or women's history, that there was such a thing. And um, when I realized how inept I was as a teacher, not knowing about half of the world, and not to mention how little I knew about people of color, um, I uh, quit teaching and went came up to Sonoma State to get my master's degree in history. Well, so you know, you said something. And some... I've been at that ever since. So that's 1970. Four, so you do the math. <laughs> so, so you were you 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 were came to Sonoma State in nineteen seventy four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I came there in nineteen seventy three. I, I didn't realize that. That that's interesting. Anyway, Molly, before, I, I have this question. You know, one of the things is that. There's such a rich history about how the project and now the alliance even came into be. So mm-hmm. I found this little thing that I read, and I want to I want to read this to you, um, okay. Molly. I'm going to ask you to give me a bit of, uh, of the beginning of history of the Women's History Month. Include your experiences. That, uh, you know, we know that you've ha- you've been a teacher, and all you're finding about not having women's history, and all of a sudden you decide to get involved. And so I read this little article. It was very very interesting. I found the statement is it says the actual celebration of women's history month grew out of a week-long celebration of women's contribution to culture history and society organized by the school district of sonoma california in 1978 presentations were given at a dozens of schools hundreds of students participated in a real woman essay contest and a parade that was held in downtown Santa Rosa. And I actually saw, uh, you know, Gloria Robinson, who lives in Petaluma. Of course I do. She was one of the commissioners. She was one of the people involved. Right. And I, she has a picture, and it's very interesting. She's kind of on the end, so she doesn't quite, ha- she's half in the picture and half out of it. But she was the one who actually showed me the picture. So talk about the event and what impact that event had on women's history. Well, we went to the, I, I came up, the reason I even asked the question about women's history is because one of the boys in my class. Uh, hold on, Molly, I can't hear you. Oh, can you hear me now? No, she's fine. Elaine is fine. Go ahead. Uh, it was 1972, and 1972 was a banner year. Uh, Ms. Magazine was published, which they really ran for president of the United States. Um, Bar- Barbara Jordan was elected to Congress. Uh, Title IX was begun to be um, implemented in 1977. Uh, the Equal Rights Amendment was going to pass any second now. It was just this banner year. And I was a social studies teacher, and one of my male students asked me, what is the women's movement? And the truth was, I didn't have a clue what this kid was talking about. I had, you know, I had just jammed through college so that I could be a teacher and all of that. And um, so instead of saying, I-, I-, I don't know, I said, wow, what a good question. Let's look at that from the perspective of the government, religion, society. Uh, I was stalling, but the question always determines the answer, so it was a good strategy. 
I went, to, I went home to my sacred shrine of history books, discovered one chapter in one book on uh, the Seneca Fall Convention of 1848, realized that because those women did what they did, I was doing what I was doing today. And I was overcome with um, with a sense of sadness that I hadn't that I hadn't gotten it before, that I'd never asked my mother what her life was really like as a woman because she was my mom, you know? Anyway, that launched me up to graduate school, and in graduate school, women's studies was very, very important in terms of taking action. And with that, we joined the Commission on the Status of Women's Education Task Force. And through that vehicle, we went to the county schools and asked them if they would institute a week on the school calendar for women's history. I knew teachers weren't teaching it because they didn't know it. I didn't know it. How would they know it? But if it was actually in the calendar... Um, then there'd be a reason for it. And we provided uh, curriculum materials and other resources so that if teachers didn't know anything about women's history, at least they'd have an activity. Also, we recruited community resource women from throughout the county to go in and talk about their lives and give kids a sense of, I guess, tomorrow and also about how things change, how you think your life is going to be one way. And look, and now you're a dentist. Did you ever think that was going to happen? So that was the, that was the beginning. That was a very, very successful uh, week in Sonoma County. The next year we added a parade, which at the time I was the director of the Commission on the Status of Women, and I was terrified of what the press democrat might say about the parade you know women take to the streets or whatever but as it turns out the parade was led by the two women who were on the um on the on the uh, supervisors at the time both helen helen rudy and helen putnam they led the parade followed by the girl scouts so we couldn't be too radical could we <laughs> and um and we marched down marched down fourth street to the old uh courthouse square and and had just wonderful celebrations for the next two or three years. And uh, Eric Cohen-Chuffer, who was a supervisor at the time, he took some grand pictures, and I took those grand slides back to a, a national conference in New York. And, of course, the people back there, most of them were East Coast. They were just wowed that we had been doing this in March, number one. But also that it was so multi-ethnic and so inclusive and so fun. And um, they signed on to a petition that they would lobby for a National Women's History Week. And, and that's what started it all. Many of them knew Carter, President Carter. They were really high echelon women, very well connected. And then there were these wonderful nuns who were the best organizers in the whole world. And so... Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question here. Um, mm. It's interesting when you went to you, you went to lobby for this uh, this week of history of women's uh-huh. history. Mm-hmm. Was now involved the National Organization for Women, or did you get, ever get to meet Polly Murray? Oh my God, no! I wish I had. She has been one of the great inspirations of my life. But no, now wasn't involved. It was all the the Sonoma County Commission on the Staff. Oh, women. okay. It was it was all of them, and um, anyway, we uh, the the conference, the national conference, was in July, um, and 
Uh, these women were so amazing that by that February, I received a call at the office at the Sonoma County Commission on the Staff Women's Office, and I happened to be the one answered the phone, and you know, I answered the Commission on the Staff Women, and they said, this is the White House calling for Molly McGregor. Oh, God. And I said, oh, oh one moment, please. <laughs> And I put them on hold and tried to get my breath. And as it turned out, it was Sarah Weddington, who was a special assistant to President Carter, calling me to to tell me that President Carter was going to issue a message to the American people um, to celebrate the week of March 8th, International Women's Day, as Women's History Week. And and we the the those of us that were with the commission became the project and and worked to, to develop curriculum and promote the idea and just have been organizing ever since and that's way over 40 years ago so wow what a story you know and, and <laughs> it, it, you know it, it reminds me you know when you said when you got the phone call you had to say hold on wait a minute what, what i i have a funnier i have a funny story too when i got accepted to graduate school when they called me and i called them back and i said did you just call me and tell me that i was accepted and i realized you know in listening to it, it it's the beginning of women really becoming more empowered i mean and so all of a sudden you know it's almost like we didn't know how to act at first so oh, it, was, uh, it was like the, the white house the white house hadn't <laughs> ever called me before actually although president uh, president clinton did appoint me to a special commission um i the white house hasn't called me since so but you know when you think back you know because i remember i always like to tell this story i remember us walking to class one day together and we're talking about women in art and i remember i i think i got a slideshow from you about this woman ray uh, ray stancliffe who was a who was an artist at the time what does it feel i mean when you when you think back then you know the beginning you know with jj wilson and 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 karen peterson you know all these really strong women coming forward i mean and uh and i can't remember ann's last name right now but she she was the and uh, Neil and Neil, and she was she was. I mean, it was such a dynamic time. I mean, I taught I taught a class called Survival as a Mother, you know, and 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 also was the speaker at the graduation, which was unknown to even have a woman up there. You know, we had a woman president at Sonoma State. It was just it was an amazing time, you know, and and so talk about some of the you know some of the steps you took. You know, what were you know what was what was the the real driving force that was happening at that time. Oh, oh hello dog. there. That's okay. She's going to go chase somebody. Um, I think the driving force for... There, there were five of, five of us co-founders, and I think that I'd have to say the driving force uh, for all of us was very, very different. And for me, the driving force was my mother. Uh, my mother was dead by the time I discovered women's history. I never got to ask her the questions. I so wished I had asked her, and I never Did um, thought about, I'm the youngest of nine children. Um, my mother had three children before she was 21 years old. Wow. Um, it's quite a story, and um, I've only pieced it together as an adult. So uh, for me, it's always been... Um, 
trying to encourage people to understand and appreciate um, and acknowledge who women are. Um, what a different world it would be if people respected women. We wouldn't have to deal with, you know, domestic violence and rape and all of the things that we deal with because it goes back to just total lack of respect and um so that that's one of the things that keeps me going. Now each of us have a different story. Um, Mary Ruth's daughter was a you know an army, as she as she would say, an army brat. Um, um, Maria Cuevas grew up in the barrio in Los Angeles. Um, Paula Hammett worked very closely with Native Americans. Betty Betty um, Morgan had been in the Peace Corps. So it was a real it was a real diverse group that came together. But all of us knew that. Um, Having information changed people. I mean, I grew up in an all-white community. Can you imagine how much I had to learn? Oh, God, yes, Actually, yes. Actually, what I should say, how much I had to unlearn before I could really learn who I, the, the white privilege that I have. Well, you know, that g- I have, so. You know, good Anyway, exa- it's all those things. But a good example of that was when I was going to Los Angeles City College, I took a Native American class, and I'm, the teacher was talking about this horrific thing when they put smallpox in the blanket. Mm-hmm. And I all of a sudden, out of you know, you know, just gotcha. just shock. I said, and all of a sudden, I just said, I thought the Indians were the bad guys. And my <laughs> my instructor, who was about six foot tall, a Native American, the most go- drop dead gorgeous, walks up to me and says, "Oh, Miss Pine, uh, what made you think that?" Well, I've been watching television. You know, we were the first <laughs> generation of television. What was it? Cowboys and Indians, and the hero was Tonto. I mean, you know, what did we know? We didn't. We had no idea. And then also many of us coming from immigrant backgrounds, you know, isolated communities. I mean, it was it, it was a real wake-up call at that time. Well, listen, yeah. And the, it still needs to be, as you can tell by them talking about banning books. And what, are, what are people afraid of? I mean, as, as a country, our strength is knowing the truth, knowing the complexity, knowing the compromises that people made, made knowing the mistakes they made, and, you know, let's go on and not continue it, so... Well, I wonder, you know, I wonder, you know, I think there's that old saying, you know, I remember my mother when things would happen and my mother would look at me and say, oh, Elaine, ignorance is bliss. And I, and I had the same feeling, by the way, about my mother. I realized when I figured out her age and when she had me, I realized that she was only 20 years since we got the first, the right to vote. She was, you know, this was 1939 when she got married. So it was 20 years prior to that, that the, you know, that she was got to vote and she wasn't yet, you know, she wasn't old enough to vote at that time. And, but what was it like? for the first time she did that so it's really amazing and I had to do a lot of piecing too so I really I really appreciate you saying that Viva to the mothers huh well at the beginning my mother was yeah you know I I can't say enough about her but yeah at at times when when I've become a little weary I I think oh what is weary compared to having nine children you know I can't even I'm seeing my I'm seeing my granddaughter right now with two children and it's I I can't imagine nine it must have been like a military operation you know uh, the co-producer Ken Norton he's the he's the oldest you're the youngest he's the oldest Uh of eight so uh, and you know also a Catholic family so it's it's very very interesting well at the beginning it's very advantageous to be the youngest let me tell you (laughs) At the beginning, you called your project, the, you called it the National Women's History Project. We did. Well, actually, at the very, very beginning, 
uh, we called it the Women's Support Network because it was such a big deal to form a nonprofit and that, that we wanted to be able to include other groups like Brown Bad Creators Theaters and, um, other groups that were dealing with, um, you know, nonprofit issues. But within the five years we became, we had, we had a budget of, you know, $300,000 and that's when we, became the National Women's History um, Project. And then that was in 1985, and then in, ni- in 2018 we became the National Women's History Alliance because, because we're the centerpiece for information about women's history. And um, we, we've already done, uh, you know, we don't need to do any more curriculum. It's being done constantly. We don't need to do the things we did. Instead, what we need to do is let people know the importance of women's history. And so that's what the Alliance does. We we work with just myriads of, of organizations, um, history organizations as well as education organizations, women's history organizations, to really help help them sustain their work and also continue to promote the idea. Well, it's just an amazing, an amazing thing that you've brought to the forefront for women. I mean, you have really, you've really put us on the map. Let's put it this way. Well, well let's just remember how many of us, when we're talking about you did it, it's like um, there, were, there were, you know, there were four of us as founders. Those four certainly became 400. Those 400 became 1,600. I mean, it, the story of, of, of the women's history movement is a really glorious story of women, women that were very different from each other, working together, coming together, learning from each other. Um, Every time I I run into an old colleague, I mean, we're just just so appreciative that we were able to, to be together and to learn what we did and to keep and now this whole new generation, I mean, my God, the things that young women are doing with women's history is just extraordinary. So, Well, talking about women's history, let's talk a little bit about uh, Women's History Month and, mm-hmm. excuse me, and, and also the theme this year. And by the way, we're going to take, after this, we'll take a, a musical break. And can you still stay with me a little bit afterwards? Sure. Oh, good. Well, uh it's called Providing Healing and Promoting Hope. I love that. Providing Healing and Promoting Hope. I mean, that's such a beautiful, beautiful idea. Well, what prompted it? What inspired that theme? And why do you think it's important to particularly healing and hope? Well, what, why is that important to, to uh, accent this year? Well, we actually thought that we were, um, the, the epidemic or pandemic was behind us. Uh, but what we wanted to celebrate was the, the countless numbers of people who gave it all um, to try and help us through that very difficult time. Um, and and then as doing it, we, you know, of course, did a, a whole history uh, retrospective. I hope you read it in our magazine because it's a really good article. But, well, I have it right um, here. I have it right in front of me, the women's history. It's- yeah, and... And we wanted to recognize, you know, so often, and and I've even gotten some feedback from this, that people think that women healing and helping is is a stereotype. You know, it's like, oh, no, women can do more than that. Well, let me ask you, what is more important than healing and, and giving hope to other people? Is there anything in the world that is more important than that? So... Um, 
I've had to write a, a few young women, especially because they 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 think they know they think they know so much as I did when I was their age, but um, they don't understand the importance of what it means to to have the power to heal and equally the power to give hope. So that's that's where it came from. Well, you know, it's it's, inter- it's interesting you say that because the whole idea behind women's spaces, I mean, I know this is, I'm just going to make this statement, is actually to provide some sort of hope by showing ordinary women doing extraordinary things that even in spite of everything that happens, you can still do good. You can still bring forward things. You can still have hope that it's for a better future. So I, I really think it's just a great, great, a great title this year. I'm really, really proud of it. And I've got the book. Can women get can if they email you or if they write you they can get they can get on a mailing list and they can get this women's history right. all they have to do is email me um you know it's nwhp 1980 at gmail.com give me their name and mailing address and i'll send them out um i will send them out a, a magazine and in addition we have if you go to our website, um, you'll see across the top there's something that says 2022 Women's History, and that has lots of links to well to the magazine itself, too, if people just want to read it online, but also to a whole array of things related to the things that people can do for 2022. Oh, it's so well worth, it's so well worth having. I mean, I have it in front of me, and I just love the cover. It's just absolutely beautiful. Well, we're going to take a little musical break here, Molly, and okay. I'm going to play a wonderful song by one of my favorite people, and I know it's one of you know her very well, Earth Mama, and she... Huh? She, you know, she wrote this wonderful song called "Her Story," and we're going to play that now. So let's let's go ahead and turn that on, Ken. And when we return, we will continue this wonderful conversation with Molly uh, Murphy McGregor, who is one of the co-founders of the National Women's History Month, and we'll be continuing to talking about the history of the project and the alliance and everything that we need to know about women are doing. And also, I have a few a few questions about what is going on today and. Hopefully, Molly will give us an opinion. So let's go ahead, Ken, and play her story. We can't stop now. We've come so far. Can't be content where we are. Oh, we see the statues. Born on our mother earth deserves the chance to know her worth and to read the stories of 
Welcome back. I just love Birth Mama. That was her story, H-E-R-S-T-O-R-Y. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces. I'm your host, Elaine B. Holt. And you know, if every once in a while I mention that my last name was Pine. I, that was my married name, which I changed later on back to my maiden name, which is Holt. And Molly and I are talking about the Women's History Alliance. And also, I'm going to continue our conversation. Are you there, Molly? I uh-huh. well, well, I have I have a question that uh, has been on my mind for a long time, and I just hope that you can answer it for me. Well, here we are in 2022, and we just celebrated. I mean, I couldn't believe with all the all the events that were planned. We had the pandemic in in 2020 when we were celebrating the hundredth anniversary of the ratification of the Nineteenth Amendment, which gave us the right to vote. What do you believe at this time is the state of union for? women in 2022 i mean i i you know the war budget i see women voting for it you know i i don't see you know i don't see many women really standing up for what i believe would protect more more women and what are some of the challenges that women are facing particularly with the national history the national women's history project can you talk about that our number one number one um uh, problem that we, uh, the project, the world, the women, men, all of us have to fight for reproductive freedom. I mean, that is the absolute keynote of power. Um, and for for these delusionary people to um, somehow um, decide that life only means the life of an embryo and not of a mother is just over the top. So, of anything, we need to be. We need to educate people. I mean, people are, they, they just don't know. It, it's astounding how much people don't know and how many lies they, um, they have incorporated into their life with disinformation. But if you want to know what I think is the number one, uh, thing that we need to be vigilant about and need to be voting about, of course, forgetting our voting rights, period, but also, we need reproductive freedom. There isn't anything that is more basic to women and men's lives than having the right to decide if they're going to have children or not going to have children. So, and also, also, you know, I mean, this has been going on since the fifties and the sixties about overpopulation. Actually, Ken was involved with the the first uh, bearing of the uh, of a maverick at San Jose State. You know, protesting. Uh, you know, looking at the environment, and if this has been going on for such a long time, you know, and it seems it seems that like you're right. People need to get more educated, but what 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 do you think is the driving force behind all this? I mean, what? Oh, I think people want to control women. I think that um, it's all about control. It's all about um, uh, uh, you know how many uh, 
centennials will we go back to find out the level of misogyny but it's 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 got nothing to do with the right of unborn children it has everything to do with um with limiting women's choices with telling people that they have they have the power to control their lives so um you know, obviously, I have very, very strong feelings about it. And as I said, I'm the youngest of nine. I have 36 nieces and nephews. I have 116 great, great nieces and nephews. I mean, I, I can tell you about the population explosion. But I can also tell you that all of those people would tell you that it's a personal right. No one has the right to tell you that you're going to carry a child that... Or, or embryo or whatever. Um, nobody's going to tell you to control your life in that way. So um, I, I don't know. You know, people talk about the, the sanctity of life, which I think we all believe in. But I, I think that there's a, a huge difference between um, embryonic cells and, um, I mean, because, you know, like sperm, that that. That's alive too, and you know what? Most of it gets wasted. So, anyway, I, I don't mean to go off on this, but well, that would be that would be reproductive freedom, and, and we're not going to have it unless we vote. I mean, people have to get out and vote, and 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 we. You know, we need to talk to women about why would one woman, and uh, I, I, I'm being very partisan when I say this because it's the, just the truth, why would any woman vote for a Republican when it's the Republican legislatures that are trying to take away our rights? So, yeah, well, I, think I, feel, I, I feel very strongly about this. Well, see, that's the, that's the piece that I don't understand. That is the piece that I don't understand because, first of all, we're talking about choice. We're talking about choice. We're not saying go get an abortion. We're not saying that. We're, we're talking about choice, that you have a choice. And that choice is an individual choice. It's a private choice. Why you know, is the, that upsetting? I, that's why what, is it upsetting? And, and the, UN, the UN has said that, that all people, um, you know, should have the right to decide how many children they have. I don't know why it's always been such a big thing in the United States. Um, well, I do know why. It, it all has to do with power and, and who's going to control um, the power. But um, we need to talk to people. We really need to t- not not dismiss them, not invalidate them, especially people who have really deep um, religious feelings about things. But we need to talk to them about how about women's feelings? How about women's right to have her own body? You know, did did God... Did God not think that women were as important as babies? I, you know, I find that hard to believe. Well, so. you know, you know, it's in the Bible that we've been given freedom of will, free will, so that we can well, make our own decisions. That's what's so interesting. Well, you know, we're coming to the end of our segment, and we could go on forever and ever. I just adore you and admire you and love this conversation. So, <laughs> are there any special events or anything that you'd like to share with people? Anything that's coming up? I mean, yeah. I mean, well, the National Women's History Alliance is doing a special webinar on um, August the 26th, and if people will write to us, we'll put you on our mailing list immediately. Um, it's going to be kind of a, fin- a Women's History Month finale, but uh, it's going to be uh, a Women's History is a cornerstone of ourselves. So um, that's what's coming up for us, and it'll be a webinar, and people can um, donate or not, but most important, we want them to listen in. Yes, please let us know because I hope if you're going to have a magazine or anything that we would definitely like to participate in that. Well, Molly 
Murphy McGregor, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on Women's Spaces and all the wonderful, I mean, the things, I mean, the way, I mean, here I have, you know, two great grandchildren. They're both little girls. So, you know, to have them grow up like this is amazing. Thank you so much for being on Women's Spaces. And if you need anything, any announcements, and we'll get together a little bit, make a little arrangement to have a little interview before August 26th when you're having this amazing event. Oh, terrific. It's a deal. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Well, Thanks for all you do, too, Eileen. Thanks. Oh, I just love it. Thank you so much, Molly. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for our show. A special thank you to Molly Murphy McGregor, co-founder of the National Women's History Project, for all she's done to bring history of women to generations of women. It's just amazing to me. You know, this is Women's History Month. Tomorrow is Women's History Day. You know, do something around women's history. Read an article. Share it with a friend. Write a letter to the editor. Call the Press Democrat. We, I, I don't notice. I did not notice anything in the paper today about the National Women's History Alliance. Did not hear anything about National Women's History Month that we're celebrating. I mean, this is so important. And also, we have to start looking at our beliefs. We have to start looking at our belief system. We have to start recognizing how important choice is. And, you know, I say, you know, there's so much rigor about the fetus being life and the sanctity of life. If I say if, if abortions are legal, let's make if abortions become illegal, let's make war illegal because that's our biggest death uh, that we put more of those born into suffering. It's just it's just so sad. Well, anyway, like I do every Monday, I remind you that our children is the future and we must never, never lose sight of that. And also a reminder, Women's Spaces will be on this evening at 11 o'clock. And please, if you are there, please make sure that you listen to it. It's really, really exciting. And if you cannot hear it, if you don't have a a place to hear it, you can stream at www.kbbf.org and you can listen to the show. Anyway... You know, this is, I am really, really excited to celebrate Women's History Month this year. You know, there's a lot to do. Anyway, this is Elaine B. Holt. You've been listening to Women's Spaces, and I look forward to being with you the next time. The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, March 7th, 2022.